Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Hold my candle, love patchouli, in my mind I feel the jones. I can We did it. We are the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, there's Chris Sinzak, and yeah, we interviewed Vinny Vincent. I like the self-made sound effect. Oh, man. That saves me time from putting it in. Yeah, totally. It's great. I, I can't hold it in. I've been doing that all week. But yeah, we uh, we accomplished something that uh, we've tried seven years to do. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. Turned out really good. Had a lot of fun with it. Vinny Vincent was freaking awesome. Really open, great stories, you know, certainly made our job easy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Download numbers through the roof, about triple of what we normally do. That's the power of the onk, yeah. man. And and so many nice messages and, yeah. and so much great feedback on it. Just some amazing stuff that some, you know, we had, we're just happy to present it to you guys. But the fact that you liked it as much as you did, uh, that just means a lot to us. Right, yeah. And I got a feeling that we might have just a couple new listeners this week. Oh, God. <laughs> So if you're new to the Decibel Geek Podcast, of course, there's all kinds of great stuff in the archives. If you didn't know before, we do like to talk about Vinnie Vincent once in a while. So you'll yeah. find all kinds of fun stuff back in the archives. Mm-hmm. Go all the way back to episode number one and catch on up to us right to where we are this week. And man, do we got an awesome follow-up to last week's Albums Unleashed this week mm-hmm. as we sit down with drummer extraordinaire... Brent Fitz. Yeah, Brent was in town for the Gene Simmons vault appearance because he was playing with his Gene Simmons bandmates. And uh, I ran into him there and I was like, you want to do the show? And he's like, I'm here till Wednesday. So we just like within 48 hours, we were sitting down talking to him. And, and, yeah. and another interview made very easy for us. He just he just took the ball and ran with it. And he's got such an awesome history. I mean, yes. he had stories about Union slash Gene Simmons band. The Kulik Brothers. There's a really good conversation yeah. on the about the Kulik Brothers performance on the cruise and also news about upcoming Kulik Brothers shows. Right. Yes. Awesome. There's a lot of kiss nerdy stuff on here. You guys are gonna love it. And big thank you to Ryan and Jeannie for letting us uh, borrow their beautiful home to do this interview in. Yes, big always so to much them. fun to see those two. Yeah. All right, well, we, before we get to all that, man, we've got a lot of business to take care of here. Can at we the skip top it of the this show. week? No, I don't think it'd be right to skip I, it this week. I think week. we should just get to it this I week. I want to see you 
turned this beautiful pink color, like pink like Vinnie Vincent's guitar in the face. You see this oxygen tank next to me? <laughs> You're going to need it. <laughs> we'll start breathing deep because I'm going to take care of some reviews. We got one of each this week, iTunes and Facebook. They're both five stars. That means we love them a lot. The first one's entitled, One, Two, F.U., Amazing Bullet Boys Review. Comes to us from Hunter5150 from right here in the good old USA. And it goes a little something like this. Talk about bringing back memories. What a great debut album by the Bullet Boys. I remember buying the cassette when released and played the hell out of it. Great from top to bottom. Still play it 30 years later. Chris and Aaron always do a great job and know their stuff. They always bring out the best of each other and their guests. Cool stories from Mick about the album. Love the Albums Unleashed episodes. Awesome podcast, guys. Keep up the great job. That comes to us from Keith Rockford. Thanks so much, Keith. Man, that's, that's awesome, awesome. feedback. And yeah. yeah, that's talk about it. It was a, a great back to back couple episodes there yeah. for Albums Unleashed. Everybody Bullet loves Boys the Albums Vinny. Unleashed. It's nice to do them back to back like that. It is. We have plans to do more this year. Give the people what they want. Yeah. And what they want is a sweet ass five star Facebook review. Comes to us from Roger Garrison. Goes like this. Honestly, guys, the Invasion podcast was hands down the best Vinnie Vincent interview I've ever heard or read. Kudos to you. Thanks so much, Roger. Best ever. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. For sure. You guys want to help us out? Get on iTunes. Get on Facebook. Leave us those five-star reviews. We love them a lot. We like to read them on the show. Mm-hmm. You guys have been amazing about this. You know, We haven't not had one in so long that my box of crying tissues... I thought I was going to have to slide them over to Crystal a couple of times while we were talking to Vinnie Vincent last week. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not biting him. <laughs> save your breath my friend you're gonna need it yeah okay so if you're new to the show which according to last week a lot of you are um we do geeks of the week and basically what it means shit is i uh i make a list of the people that shared on facebook and retweeted on twitter the previous week's episode from the original link on facebook and the original link on twitter yes i know there's a lot of you that probably went to the website and shared it so i i can't keep track of those so these are the ones i could keep track of you might need a little help with this if, okay. I, if i see you start falling over i'll start reading i'll do the best i can i view this as a challenge okay well then it's all you so geeks of the week this week are aaron baker bark pittard <laughs> two, two names in Aaron Baker, Bark Pickard, Thomas Mukaji, Brian Connors, Mankey, HRR, Where the Rock Never Stops, Anna Pereiro, Mordo's Metal Museum, Debbie Mitchell, The God of Thunder, James McElhenney, Samuel Wetz, Bad Ashcraft, Ross Feichert, Otto Erling Gregerson, Kiss This, Paul Pease, Paul Korn, Stephen Javorski, Focus on Metal Podcast, Joseph Capone, Darren Lanou, Sean Morgan, Kevin Williams, Sean Cullen, Russell Barber, Steve Wright from Potter Than Hell Podcast, Anthony Visconti, Brent Walter, Neil Johnson, Tuck Watts from Classic Rock Drops. Greg York, Todd Cunningham, Alexis Comedicus, Baco, Trevor Johnson, Ken Mills, Ian Wiley from Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Spencer Wetmore, Joe Royland, Ken Tucky, Sit and Spin with Joe, CGCM Podcast. Mm-hmm. Chris got Mc- a long ways. Chris McDowell, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Jason Blusky, Snake Vomit shared it. Nice. Lipstick the Band, Brent Tibbetts, Craig Smith, Ages of Rock Podcast, Cameron Guidi, Alan Tate, Devin Fox, Andy LaFon, Eric Satana Horner. Coffee Tubes and Tone, Gino Ames, Andrew Jacobs, Greg McGlone, Dan Shapu, Shane Paisley, Rosie Luck, Joe Lascon, Mikhail Burrell, Dave Koska, Peter Vasallo, Cal Hens, Derek Novak, Rich Canamar, Steve Boykin, Aaron Camaro. 
Mary, Marianne Kelly, Scott Smith, Joe Polo from Podcast Rock City, Growing Up Rock Podcast, Warren Money, David Glenn, Brad Calmonson, Spicoli, Kiss Army Sweden Destroyer, Rob Webb, Pods and Sods, Nate Atchison, The Plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man, Big Bushy Power Hour, all kinds of bushiness, <laughs> Jerry Golson, Wayne Cross, Mike Purnell, Shay Hargett, Mike Stewart, Joey Haney from Rock Strikes 10, Adam Cox, Joey Van Sherry, Daniel Passfield, Freewell 72, Reese Lett, Joe Beck, JJ Mack, Jason Wood, Playball 66, Her Eternal Greatness, Stephen Michael, Bela, I don't know how to say that, Anna Maria, Colin Francis, Viking Girl, Unsound Rob, Jody Havnot, Stephen Atchison, Greg Troy, and Nick Rose, Rachel Sullivan, Scott Wark, Mercury Arc, Ernesto Aguiar, Eladio, Joe. Joe Arnold, Brent Whittemore, Save Rock and Metal, Stealth, Sean Franklin, Jeff Mendenhall, Billy Hardcore, Paul J. Kane, Christopher Stokes, Alex Thorne, and of course, the, the Mooger Fooger. And Vinny Vincent. Oh yeah, he shared it too. Yeah, he did. Thank you everybody that shared last week's episode, Albums Unleashed, the Vinny Vincent Invasion debut album. Man, what a treat it was for us. We're glad you guys enjoyed it, and we always enjoy the support that you guys give us. You know, we love it. We appreciate it so much. Keep up the good work. The reviews are awesome. The sharing, the retweeting, it's all good. I'm happy to read all those names. Yeah, totally. So thank you again, and for you to enjoy right now our conversation with Brent Fitz. I know my uh, Franklin stayed down there because uh, and Leaper's Fork. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a nice. Stayed area. down there quite a bit because Brad Whitford lives down there. And yeah. Derek yeah. St. Holmes, who I was playing with, and uh, there's some really nice studio down there too, isn't there? Well, the Leaper's Fork the studio that Megadeth's album was done. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking of. I think Brad and those guys did record they down there. there too? Mm-hmm. I hadn't been there, but um, there's all kinds of gems in this town. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. Justin Timberlake lives down there, and Carrie Underwood, like John Oates, super yeah. hoity-toity houses, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Franklin for sure. That's but even over here, like in Brentwood, mm-hmm. if I drive down that Franklin Road. Yep. Dude. I think Doc lives over there. He does. Uh, Ryan showed me his house. I know it's only like five minutes yeah. from here. So. Yeah. Well, we're already going, so oh, this is how we do it. Talking about life, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's we're not. It's not going to be like question answer, question answer, just general chit chat. Yeah, I like it. That's cool you mentioned um, Wetford and St. Holmes. I mean, you did that recently. That was a, a pretty cool tour. Like, did, Were you a big fan of that album back in the day? Um, I was, but I had to revisit it. You know, mm-hmm. like I remember having it on vinyl. And then uh, the cool thing was that Troy Lucchetta yep. from Tesla, he was telling me that he was going to be doing a new Woodford St. Holmes record. I saw Tesla in Vegas, like... A couple of years ago, and well, whenever the record was being done, and I was like so happy for Troy and those guys. Hey, new Whitford St. Holmes, cool. Mm. And uh, and he played me the record, and I really liked it. Yeah, just a good straight up, you know, rock record. Yeah. And uh, and then it just ironically turned into a. Uh, I'm sure Troy had recommended me because you know Tesla was busy, and uh, and ironically because I had just seen him and heard the record and was a fan anyway that's the best way to do a gig yeah. actually like the music right. always yeah. and at this stage of my career it's kind of like I have to like it or else 
it's working wonders for Gene Simmons right now. Well, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Having a band that cares, that knows, that respects, you know, yeah. It truly is. And maybe sometimes a Gene or some of the other people I've worked with, like Slash or Alice Cooper, not that they, they don't think that it's it's the right way to have guys that would... It's not like they're fans, but we're fans of, of the artist, but we're not like stalker fans. Or, right, or, no, know, totally. Like, it's more like, you're, like a respect. you grew up and you respected yeah. the band, so who knows your music better than people that have always loved your music, so right. why wouldn't you want to work with you know, like-minded people? So I think the, the Gene gig is a seamless transition for someone like myself. I've always loved Kiss. Yeah. I always loved Aerosmith. I always loved... Those Ted Nugent records that Derek sang on, mm. and so to play with these guys and like all those songs are in my DNA. Yeah. Right. Anyway, yeah. if you called me, if Aerosmith called me tomorrow, or Ozzy, or Black Sabbath, or Van Halen, or you know any gig that the posters were on my walls, I'm ready because yeah. I love those those artists, you know, since I was a kid. So, so those were the albums you you put on with headphones behind your kit and just jam out to the whole album. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I went through the stage of side one of moving pictures. Mm. That was just a, a thing. Every day after school, I would put on, you know, whatever album I was into. But I, I remember distinctly, it was always, uh, I'd get that over with. Rush, moving pictures, just side one, play through it, and then move on to something else. Wow. And uh, I'm pretty deaf now, though, because I had these headphones that they were, they weren't sealed. Mm. They, they, um, they were really loud, but they weren't like these ones that covered my ears. And yeah. now I think about ten, I'm like, God, I must have just done some damage just cranking those those headphones, you know, to back be able in the to play day. Along with. Yeah. But uh, and we used to have my my house because um, I had drums. You know, it's hard to if you're a guitar player, you go play down at your buddy's house where the drums are. But I I was always our house was the um, the go to mm. the jam place. And my parents were very cool with having the band play any time, any hour. Yeah, the cool parents. Very cool parents. And uh, so, you know, people would come over to my house and we'd be jamming all the time. So there was all, I was just drumming all the time, you know, right after high school. or Actually, well before high school. By the time high school hit, I was already doing gigs. Wow. But I got a drum kit when I was 10... And uh, before that, remember I had these, uh, they used to have these, it was like, now they have for kids, it looks like a real drum kit, but it's small, yeah, like right. with real heads and real yeah. cymbals. When I was a kid in the 70s, they had these drum kits, it was kind of, it was really a toy. The heads were paper, the cymbals yeah. were just crappy. I it remember like that. I remember yeah. the Muppets. It was a Muppet drum kit and <laughs> yeah. some others, and I wanted the Muppet drum kit, but I, I didn't get oh. it, but it was something else. And, uh, you know, if you hit it too hard, you would have broke the heads with the paper or something. Yeah. But I took this drum kit my parents gave me. Maybe I was eight or something. And for a couple of years, I just wanted it to look like a live two. And it was, <laughs> I took these pails and I, like, made all these <laughs> So I had, like, six toms in front. Yeah. And I yeah. put paper on the front and colored them to match the rest of the kit. And, wow. you know, basically whatever look you know like that yeah that poster that we're looking at on the wall here yeah. his poster i wanted it to look like that so that's awesome that was sort of my before i got real drums just so, so early influences peter chris and animal 
<laughs> yeah, 70s. Yeah. Right. It's a combination of, yeah. you know, growing up, I'm 48 years old, so those late 70s influences was, you know, the first, I think the first record I got, um, Love Gun, mm. but also the Bay City Rollers. Really? So kind of a contrast. I didn't have a Beatles record first. I had, you know, a Bay City Rollers record and a Kiss record, but those were my Beatles. Sure. You know, lots of good melodies and and that sort of like the the boy band kind of thing that was the Bay City Rollers, yeah. which w- were the Beatles, you know, to, to other people back in the day. I don't know. Um, I love both of those at the same time, mm-hmm. even though my guilty pleasure was the Bay City Rollers. A lot of hooks. Oh, man, yeah. totally. Um, so, yeah, first album was Kiss. I still have my first vinyls, too. Like, I never got rid of them. Right, yeah. And if I put that love gun on today mm. on a record player and there's it's all trashed right <laughs> all the skips and the pops it would still be magical yeah i would want to hear it with all the little i know where all the ticks and the you know yeah. that's where you almost expect you know where the skip's gonna happen oh yeah you know, there's always a skip right before god of thunder and, and on a live two mm-hmm. you know um on my i don't know it's just it kind of brings me back to childhood when i think of think of all the vinyl but uh yeah, so you know, playing, playing to albums when you're in the, when you're a kid in the '70s, and and uh, you know, I, my parents were great. You know, they got me into music, and well, I, I played piano first. Yeah, my sister and I both got piano lessons when we were young. So and then I, you know, graduated from piano to mm. like, well, Kiss is my favorite band. You know, I want to play an instrument. I don't want to just play piano. And, I only uh, played Beth so many times, right? But I did. Yeah. It just wasn't, you know, to be in a band, you couldn't just be a piano player. Right. Um, and all the bands in the 70s seemed to, it was more guitar driven. In the 80s, it was key, It was a lot more keyboards. Yeah, lot bon Jovi, like five-piece right. bands and had keyboards. But a lot of my friends played guitar in the neighborhood. And I was just like, well, I'll be the drummer. And I wouldn't say that Peter Chris specifically was my drumming influence. Although, certainly the music of Kiss and the and Kiss as a whole, for sure. Right. But I think I always thought Ace Frehley was the coolest guy. Yeah. You know, everybody had their favorite. <laughs> sure. I just yeah. remember Halloween, I always wanted to go out as Ace, Ace Frehley. Yes. Now, that wasn't anything about, like, who was better in the band or anything. You know, just everybody and all the kids I grew up with was like, who are you going out with? Who are you going out as for Halloween? It's fucking crazy, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I'll go out as Paul. Okay, well, I'll go out as Ace. And then, I don't know, I just always probably grabbed gravitated towards ace so So that was the beauty of kiss though because everybody could have their favorite member within the band you know everybody loved kiss yeah but everybody also had their favorite member of kiss too yeah i was an ace guy myself and playing with gene now and uh and looking forward to doing some some work with ace you know right as we're talking right now i haven't played with him uh officially yet i have played with ace before on a few gigs here and there a couple years back i did something in um in LA but it was more of a like a super group thing with mm-hmm. Gilby Clark and Chips Enough and and yeah. uh, a bunch of guys and, and Ace played with us Sebastian Bach he's all my favorites I know yeah. it's like, it's <laughs> a, sort of like a band <laughs> with Stevie Rochelle there yeah. I think it was called the um the Cat House gig okay. it was in Irvine right on so I did get to play with Ace there and have I jammed with him oh yeah and, and 
recently with Gene, Ace came and played with us mm-hmm. at a, a really great charity event that Gene was part of. Oh, the one in Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Right and they on. hadn't played together oh, yeah. in many, many years. So yeah. I, you know, played with Ace there as well. But um, so it looks to be that we're going to do some some playing together in August. Nice. You know, with Gene and, and Ace, and, and the the Gene band will back up Ace yeah. on that. So, um, but playing with Gene now, currently. It's not that I didn't, it was, wasn't like Ace was my preferred member. It just was like probably the guy that I just thought costume-wise. I Maybe our own personalities, Right. you kind of felt a little more connected to certain people. And yeah. I, I just remember Gene being such a, come on, like spitting blood, blowing fire. I mean, his his persona was the most intimidating mm-hmm. and cool, you know, in that sense. But... Maybe just as a person, me personally, I probably related more to Ace Fraley and, right. and uh, the whole, you know, space uh, kind of connect. I remember I always was always into like Man on the Moon stuff as a kid, and yeah. and uh, when you're a kid, you know, it's just different mm-hmm. different rules. But yeah. now that I'm older and in the music business all these years, I certainly, you know, understand how everyone's role in the band is and. Gene has always been a huge influence on me just as a person mm-hmm. as far as, you know, and this might sound kind of cheesy, but I don't think so, is I've never tried a drug in my yeah. life. And it's probably because I remember Gene and Paul would say things like, you know, we don't do drugs and that. And, you know, as a kid, if that's a positive influence for a rock band, you know, where parents yeah. are like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. those, you know, those all those influences as a kid, listening to rock music is bad for you, well... Clearly, it was a good influence on me because I'm I'm kind of glad that I'm I've been in this business all these years and you know I've had a lot of friends that have been through a lot of bad things. Yeah, sure. Through drugs and alcohol and whatnot. So, and I'm not a preacher by any means, and I've you know done my share of drinking and having good times and whatnot. But just to to stay on the straight and narrow and the focus of of career and all that, I think there's a lot of things I've learned from from Gene and Paul. You know, as far mm-hmm. as as uh, career lessons. Because there's not so, a whole lot of people that have had that kind of longevity or that kind of magnitude within the music business, especially yeah. rock music, yeah. that can say, we've never done drugs yeah. at all, anything. It's you kind know? of funny, so, though, in hindsight, though, because like in the 70s and early 80s, you know, parents are like, oh, my God, these guys are Satan spawn. They're the worst. And it's like, you have no idea how straight and narrow these guys are. Yeah. They're like the better influence of your kids than just about any other band, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keith Richards is the problem, not Gene Simmons. <laughs> well, and you know, Nothing I've worked with Keith Richards. a lot of these other people in the over the years, and um, the the Slash band, which is you know Slash, myself, Todd Kearns, Miles Kennedy, and Frank Sidoris, yeah. we are probably the most um, boring but but focused <laughs> right. bunch of guys. Sort of been there, done that. Um, you know, like there's no there's no partying within the band like it exists because we're just fueled by you know music yeah. and and hard working guys and we love to play together but there really is no like uh you know give us a great road story brent from that well the road stories would be just having really awesome crowds and great gigs but you're not going to get some sort of backstage stories because mm. they're just not there anymore you right. know like um most of the guys i've had the pleasure of playing with especially now is just i'm I'm just into guys that are really driven by, you know, being a great 
you know, uh, a musician, a great person in the music business, and just right. you know, like uh, mm. past all the the stuff, the, the the demons, yeah, all the dark stuff that comes with you know being in a band and whatnot. So, not that it's boring. It's just that no. you know, it kind of like I, I'm, you know, I've been doing this a long time now. Right. I, I don't feel like I've been doing it a long time because all of a sudden, you know, thirty years goes by and you go, well, I've always been doing this, but that is a long time to do anything, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm still here, and I'm I'm playing with all the people I like, and and growing up, you know, being influenced by. So, to to still be able to do it, and I, I don't know, I never had Plan B in place when I was a a teenager, saying I'm gonna, you know, make a career playing music. I don't think I ever said that. I think I knew, you know, when you're young or in high school, maybe like when I was young, I knew I wanted to play music. Yes, but mm-hmm. you don't know how you're gonna your life's going to play out right uh around high school when they ask you at school you know hey maybe you want to go into look into going to you know university or something i never even had any of those inklings i was always like i'm in a band i'm going on the road so i always knew that i always had the plan b in place and so today i just you know i always say well that that was always the plan and it's just been going on all these years and i've just been figuring out how to navigate playing music and, and making it fun and you know like uh you know it's not easy sometimes you know the ups and downs but the best thing about being in my position is i've actually had a, a great chance to play with all these people that i i admired right. and grew up like i always say the posters on my walls came to life yeah and that's crazy you know like careful what you wish for <laughs> but you know i looked up to those people and and i'm from small town canada Winnipeg it's a very small place and you know not a lot of my favorite bands came through town when I was a kid so I I lived vicariously through circus faces hit parader cream magazine and you know all my heroes were in in page form and then they went on my wall so I didn't necessarily get to see them in concert yeah and you know to to work with these people later in life is it, it feels great but I bet it does but I didn't plan. I didn't know how that plan was gonna <laughs> turn out. So, so here we are. So, when you were younger and you were in the band in high school, what was that about? How did how? Where were you going? Were you guys touring? Where did it go? Well, everything's local because yeah. I'm still living at home, and I'm, you know, going to high school. You're you're still under your parents, uh, you know, rules per se. But I got just playing around locally in bars. The drinking age is 18, where I'm mm, from. So right. we snuck into bars when we were 15. I was playing in front of people at 16 in a bar crowd. And so those were great times because I was underage, but I was getting all my, you know, my experiences. Well, first, we played in the basement, like I said. Right. I mean, you play with your friends, yeah. and then you figure it out, and, and you get all your mistakes, and, you know, you jam all your favorite Van Halen songs and Kiss songs and Zeppelin. And then graduating to being in front of people... I figured out, you know, what it's like to perform instead of practicing in the basement. And then eventually, after high school, I joined a band that was with some older guys. I've been the youngest guy in most of the bands up to this point. Yeah. I'm usually the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I get older now, I realize I'm not the kid anymore. I'm somewhere in the middle or, uh, you know, I'm not... Like, when I was 18, I played with guys in their early 20s yeah. who I thought they were like, oh, my God, these guys are way older than me. <laughs> you know, they got girlfriends that are, 
You know, it was just a different thing. Yeah. Remember when you were a kid, and yeah. even like your older brother was like way older than you. Yeah, right. Even if he was two years older, perspective oh, he, changes over the years. Yeah. His uh-huh. friends and his music. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was kind of lucky to go and get some live performance experience, and all of that, which happened so many years ago, thirty years ago, are all the most important pieces of what happens today to Mm. me like all those little things i learned in Mm. in clubs and interacting with people and and like i use all those every day now the tools and it's pretty cool that like and and choices i made not getting messed up not getting i don't know arrested because you know i I knew i'm probably going to want to go to new york one day like that was a dream or go to la and and go be amongst all these other musicians that i grew up admiring so Mm. i knew well i you know, probably have to not do too many ridiculous things to get in trouble yeah. so that it would prevent me from one day, you know, again, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew that I'm in a small city. I want to play with as many people as I can. Maybe I'll go to Vancouver. Maybe I'll go to Toronto. But luckily, I ended up going in my um, mid-20s. I ended up down in California, in L.A. And that was a big career step. Was that a scary step to take? Oh, the worst. Yeah. 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 You know, what year are we talking? Uh, so that was 96. I was 26 years old. And I had a lot of road experience being away from home and on tour. So basically I was you know, playing, making a living as a musician since I was 15, 15, 16. That's how I made my living. When you went to L.A., were you leaving like a band behind? Did you have anything lined up for yourself when you went? I left behind a good gig with a great band called Streetheart that was from I heard of Streetheart yeah. from Winnipeg they were like one of my favorite bands growing up even mm. though they were a local band to me they were as big as ACDC That's a very respectable career yeah. yeah and I was playing with Kenny Shields the singer and I got all my my road legs from him you know playing with a, a real artist I looked up to it wasn't a cover band it was a real band you know yeah. playing the songs of Streetheart and, and uh, so that was kind of like a big gig for me but he was also the guy that pushed me into, hey, Brent, you know, you need to go and, and spread your wings, and, and if you want to go to L.A., you should go. This is the time to go. Kenny just passed last year. He was mm-hmm. a huge influence on me. So, um, you know, and again, all those things I learned back in those, you know, early 20s years, so important now, mm-hmm. and the, the survival things I had. And, uh, and, and then just going to L.A. was like, it's a new... It's a new experience because now I'm, instead of, not that I was a big fish in a little pond back home, but I had, right. you know, many years of touring mm-hmm. and, you know, I knew I had gone across Canada so many times. I sort of knew that and it was like, I'll go to L.A. and I'll, I'm ready to get my ass kicked. Did you get your ass kicked upon getting there? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Did you know anybody when you got there? Well, I went to the NAM show, uh-huh. the music trade show. Yeah with some friends and I'd never been to LA before that and that was just the game changer because mm-hmm. I then I was in a in a building amongst all my heroes yeah. in one place yeah. and I had met Bruce Kulick at the NAM show that day the first day I was there I remember within minutes of walking in the doors I saw Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick I mean it was just like my mouth had just dropped holy shit look at all these people <laughs> that was a big deal because like I said growing up in Winnipeg I didn't get to see a lot of my heroes yeah, right. so to see them just They're in everywhere. one yeah. one place at a trade show 
And then, luckily, I ran into a guy who I had been in a band with in Winnipeg, this band called Seventh Heaven. And when I was 18 and I graduated high school, I had joined that band, and it was some Winnipeg friends of mine who were in their 20s, and two guys who they had connected with who were from Los Angeles. And we all played together in Winnipeg. So I was 18, and I was playing with these, you know, some Winnipeggers, and a couple of guys from L.A. Well, that was a yeah. big deal. Yeah. I had no connections to L.A., but I was playing with guys like, wow, you played the Sunset Strip. It was, holy shit. And, uh, and I reconnected with one of those guys just by random wow. at this huge, you know, trade show with thousands and thousands of people. And my friend Scott, Scott Gaines, who I was the bass player in, in Seventh Heaven, bumped into me at this, this trade show. He's like, Brent, oh, my God, I haven't seen you in years. Like, I'm so glad you're here. You should stay in L.A. Mm-hmm. You should hang out with me and I'll help you, you know, if you want to meet some people. And, and that was it. Fortunate reconnection. Right on. Very fluke, uh, fluky situation, but it was, it changed my life. So I owe, you know, that experience to my friend Scott and having played with him before. And, you know, it's all people and connections. Right. Up to that point, you know, meeting and networking with people. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing I noticed as I was, you know, amongst all these other musicians in LA after I, I did stay there for a while and I started to connect with a bunch of people. It was almost surprising for people, wow man, you can really play. And I thought that was interesting because where I came from mm-hmm. in that small city, everybody could play. You know, it was very cutthroat and all the musicians I had worked with, everybody sang, everybody, you know, was really sort of like a multi faceted, diverse musician. Because yeah. we didn't you know, we, we did we played the clubs and, and you just did whatever you did. Oh, I can sing, I can play guitar, I can play drum. Like a lot of, um, you just had a lot of um, depth. Yeah. And and we were all failed hockey players. You know, <laughs> yeah. We were just all, oh, you're not going to play hockey? Well, we're going to play music. Pretty much born with a hockey stick, right? Oh, yeah. Up there. Still. Yeah. You know, I'm still a failed hockey player. <laughs> anyway, so when I moved to L.A., it was surprising to hear a lot of people say, wow, man, you can play. Because I just thought where I came from, everybody seemed like a really good player. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then moving to LA, I just thought, well, that's, I guess that's good, you know. I've done my time. And, and what's the LA music scene like in '96? Because I don't even know. It was bad. Yeah. You know, because all those influences I had, mm-hmm. it was the scene was gone. Everyone right. was telling me you missed it. Yeah. You missed your '80s or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, the, the Sunset heyday. Strip. You know, uh, and and Guns and Roses. Mm-hmm. You know, in the late '80s, all those bands had in '96. It wasn't like they were tearing it up on the strip anymore. <laughs> the right, scene was yeah. sort of... I was confused. What kind of stuff was big on the strip at that time? Was it grunge stuff? Well, I was there anything see, big on the strip in general? I, I remember... a uh, Funny thing. One of the, the first bands that I did work with was Union, mm-hmm. which was yeah. Bruce Kulick. Wow, awesome. Man. And John awesome. Karabi. Yeah. Yes. And Jamie Hunting. Yeah. So I remember going to a... Imperial Drag Show at the mm, Key Club. Oh, yeah, we like them. Yeah. 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 Eric Dover, yeah. RJ, was it R.J. Manning? I, yeah. Uh, Robert, uh, yeah, Roger Manning. Yeah. I'd seen that the, they were actually big in Canada. The Boy or a Girl video was yeah. huge on Much Music. And just oh, wow. before I moved to L.A., I was like, I love this band. Like, 70s influences mm-hmm. and so, sort of like, uh, you know, Queen and, mm-hmm. and the Beach Boys and the Beatles. and it's a pretty Uncles. great album. Yeah. Great, great, great. And I loved all the jellyfish stuff too. But I went to see them at the Key Club and John Karabi was there. And Bruce and I had just 
sort of connected on some things and I don't think I'd met John I didn't know I was going to be in a band with him mm -hmm. but I remember knowing if he's at this concert he must he must like the kind of music I like so yeah. I thought that was cool and it's you know interesting how we eventually connected as a band not long after that but I did see John at this Imperial Drag concert and that, that was one of the only bands I liked in 96 that I mm. I saw in LA and funny thing was when we did hook up as union and we started to work together and we had management and all these things, I remember the manager saying to us, to, to me at the time, as union was, we were putting our record together and, and he goes, hey Brent, uh, uh, we just, we're, we've got this new band from Canada. Uh, you must know them, Nickelback. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know anything about that band. Uh -huh. And they must've been, you know, just starting out and doing great things maybe in Vancouver, but I had moved and, and they were new, and I didn't know anything about them. But the management was telling me, all, we're going to sign this band Nickelback. And mm. I, I thought, okay, cool. And, he, and they were kind of like giving, looking for my approval because they were a Canadian band. Right. If I you're, honestly, you're from Canada, you must obviously know them. You must right? know them. Like, I was like, <laughs> I don't know not, anything. It's not like it's a big country or anything. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing was they were telling me, and you know what? They, that band, and of course Nickelback, went on to be huge just right. you know, not long after that. It's one of Chris's Although, favorites. When uh, uh, you know what other <laughs> record came out at that time that I loved was the second Foo Fighters record, "Color in the Shape." Yeah, that's yeah. And we had just started work recording the Union record in '96, early '97, I think. Uh, yeah, it came out in '98. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So, but that record was—I I loved the first Foo Fighters record, which mm -hmm. basically was just, just you know Dave, yeah. all Dave. Right. And uh, and that second record came out, and I remember showing it to all the guys in Union, like, "Man, check out this band!" Like. Dave Grohl's new record is awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of where my head was at when I moved to L.A. Like, Foo Fighters were happening. What did the rest of the guys think of it? Well, you know, we were... Union was going to be just a straight-up rock band. Like, we weren't trying to follow any trends. Right. And certainly, at the time, all that grunge stuff was just sort of tapering off. And I loved Alice in Chains. Yeah. That was my favorite of all the, the Seattle bands. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved um, Soundgarden, too. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I think we liked all those bands. Like, John and Bruce were like, oh, those bands, you know, they played great and that. And, and at the time, maybe because there was still a little bit of that influence in a lot of other bands at the yeah. time, that maybe maybe we got lumped into, like, oh, it's a post-grunge kind of band or something. But I, I think I remember that term being thrown around with you guys, which I never really got. No. But, yeah, I always viewed it as just a rock and roll band. Yeah, so mm -hmm. there might have been just a little, you know... Um, Everything needs to be categorized. So, sure. what kind of band are you? Well, a rock band. Well, is it post grunge? Is it alternative? Is it is it pop? Is it metal? I don't know. It's a rock band. Well, we got to categorize it. So, especially in that era, everybody right? Yeah. Put a label on it because everything they. Well, we got. We want to make sure if you're cool or not. You know, tell us what you are. You know, it's like because we we've talked about that a million times. Where like you're at that age and your friends are like, no, you can't like Pearl Jam and Poison. You know, you just can't. Well, why can't I? You just can't. You can't like. Yeah, you got to pick. You like Pearl Jam, you're cool. If you like Poison, man, you're not cool. It's crazy, you know. Uh, so speaking of those, you know, you can't like this band, but you yeah. can like that band. I've been noticing it for years, but more recently, now that I'm back playing with Gene in a in the Kiss circle, we'll call uh -huh. it, and Bruce Kulick mm -hmm. playing with yeah, you know, him and, you and Bob and, and uh, all that, I have found it interesting over time where if I'm when I first worked with Bruce, you know, in the KISS circles, a lot of KISS fans gravitated towards the band. And, and then ever since I've been involved with Bruce, you know, KISS fans are aware of you 
because you're kind of like part of the family tree of yeah, kids. Right, yeah. So then I, I went on to work with, you know, Vince Neal. Mm-hmm. So that's that, that's the Motley Crue mm-hmm. circle. Well, I've learned at, at that time that not all Motley Crue fans know all the the Kiss stuff. And I thought, well, me as a, a Kiss fan and a Motley Crue fan growing up, I thought, well, all those bands were related. Guns N' Roses, yeah. Kiss, uh, Aerosmith. You know, these, aren't they all the same? Mm-hmm. Like good rock bands. You're right. You're in your realm. You know. Yeah. But I'm learning that, no, it doesn't all cross-pollinate. So after playing with Slash the last seven years, and recently back playing, you know, with Gene, I've had, uh, interestingly enough, a lot of people come up to me and say, hey, Brent, how's it going? Oh, my God, it's so great to see you play with Gene. I last saw you play with Union. Uh, What have you been up to? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm kind of like, well, I guess you didn't. And that's okay. But sometimes people, oh, I didn't know you played with you know, Vince Neil or Alice Cooper. Oh, you were with Slash? Oh, Slash has a solo band? Had no idea. Well, there's a lot of fans with Tunnel Vision, depending yeah. on what they're into. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. But um, but it's hard to imagine, like, for me, it was a natural progression from Kiss to Motley Crue to Guns N' Roses oh, yeah. and right on down the line. It's like, I couldn't imagine, you know, saying I'm a Kiss fan and I like Motley Crue, but I don't like Guns N' Roses. Or I love Guns N' Roses, I love Motley Crue, but I don't like Kiss. You know, these bands, they're all hard rock bands. Union, you know, I, I love that stuff too. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's just it's rock music. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be certain thing, you know. It's just good. I agree. But it's okay, I guess, you know. Um, people can you don't get anyone say, the last time I saw you, you were street hard. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe in Canada. Nice. Yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'm glad that people say, the last time I saw you was with such and such band, because that just shows that, well, I've been playing with, you know, all kinds of different mm-hmm. artists, and I've been having a good time, and uh, it's it's great to play with different people. Yeah. I've enjoyed, um, that's, I, I I love people, man, you know, I it's funny, you look at the license plates in Manitoba, where I'm from, mm-hmm. you know, every state in America says, you know, the Garden State, New Jersey, yeah. you know what it says in Manitoba, it says, friendly Manitoba. So I guess I have no choice. I'm a right. friendly guy. Yeah. Is that what, what people from Manitoba are like? I don't know. I only know what I know. Well, you got a reputation to carry on then. So here I am, you know, mm-hmm. playing with lots of people. I enjoy, I'm, I enjoy talking with you guys tonight because we're talking about music. It's right. great. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And playing music and talking music and being part of, you know, what I love is, is uh, comes with playing with people and, and working with people. So the more the better. And the different personalities I welcome. You know, I've worked with some of the the most difficult people, and then some of the the coolest. And it's all good. I just, you know, find myself resilient to the whole thing, and, and I look forward to working with different pers- personalities because, and and maybe there's something to the effect of where I come from, where we get along with most people. Maybe that's a, an, an advantage to me playing with sure. all these different people, yeah. as I can kind of be chameleon-like in a way, right. and different styles of music and different, you know, and I know what my my strengths and limitations are, and I kind of feel like I'm I'm not an extreme either way. I'm more like I could, you know, find myself working with all all types of music. And although I I probably wouldn't be the best at certain, you know, like um, would I be the ultimate country drummer? No. Would I be the ultimate pop drummer? No. But I like some of those artists, mm-hmm. and I like some of the, the music. So if someone said to me, "Hey, you're going to back up Keith Urban on a gig." Well, then I would probably welcome that and sure, you know, yeah, do a good a job. Of that. Yeah, and enjoy, 
you know, the challenge. So, um, that's, that's the, 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 the chase of, you know, being a musician is just Mm -hmm. to have, you know, this, the variety and the spice of, of, uh, always, you know, and sometimes when you think about a career and certain people, like a lot of my heroes, you know, some of those bands we talked about, the Mott crew and that, and those guys who made great records in their early twenties and then years later have to live up to it for the rest of their career. Like, yeah. wow, Appetite for Destruction, Guns N' Roses Talked and Slash, you know, but yet I've noticed me, myself, I, you know, the things I did in my early twenties were important, but they weren't, they weren't stamped to like, well, that's the best thing you ever did. You know, right. I, I kind of feel like here I am in my, you know, I'm almost 50 and yet there's some great things happening and maybe some of the best stuff has happened much more you know later on in in career-wise things and uh and even playing with slash he's the guy that played on appetite for destruction you know you hear sweet child of mine and you know Mm -hmm. all those great riffs and whatnot but yet he's he's not living in the past he's very much aware that you know every time um he plays he's you know he wants to be a better musician and wants to do some of his best work today, not just live in the past. So, yeah, that's you know, good. I love playing with people that are living in the now. And, yeah. you know, Gene Simmons is very now as well. You know, he's, mm. he's 68 years old and I feel like he's trying to be aware of what's happening today. And, and he's one of the best bass players I've ever played with and best singers. And yet, he's, you know, he never, he always cuts himself short on his bass playing, but yeah. it's like, he's, he's great. Incredibly He's like he's really unique in his playing. Yeah, like, you'll never hear another bass player play like him. It's and especially those early albums. Like some, and you know he'll say, "Well, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. That's why it sounds like that." Well, good. Yeah, because they're really musical bass lines. Yeah, they're not just and they're like I'm at, for you. So you and him are a rhythm section. So I mean, it's got to be interesting to bounce back and forth with him. It's fantastic. Yeah, he's. Um, I'm sure his influences would be maybe Jack Bruce. Oh yeah, and cream and yeah. Paul McCartney, and uh, and you hear in his playing, you know, it's, there's a lot of in between notes, the melodies yeah. that mm-hmm. that connect. That's the, what I love about it. You know, yeah. the pulsing notes, and uh, because he's a singer, and he thinks, you know, his like his bass playing is just it's a melody instrument. Slash too. Slash is a very melodic uh, guy. Mm. He's a man of few words. Yeah, he doesn't talk. It's a lot. all in the <laughs> in, it's all in the guitar playing. Yeah. He's one of the most, you know, melodic people I know, and uh, and I love that. I love I love communicative, you know, people like that. You know, that have yeah. a lot a lot to say. So, I, t- I totally get off on on making, especially over the last years, being able to like make new records with Slash. It's great because mm-hmm. not only have we played the songs that that Slash has already been playing, you know, all these years, and but we've been we've found a way to make you know new relevant music. And, and we're doing it right now. Yeah, I was going to ask. I heard I heard that you guys were working on something else. Oh yeah, yeah. We've been recording over the last several months, all you know, brand new music that uh, we had you know started to work on it a few years back, and there was just a bunch of songs that weren't fully realized, and then we just you know kind of came back mm-hmm. in the last few months to uh, you know to get them you know recorded properly, and uh, so. It's not released yet. Here we are talking about it, but it's almost done. Cool. And I'm again, I'm happy that you know we have a third record yeah. that we uh, we've gotten to do, and and uh, that that feels great. You know, there's 
some songs off the first Slash record, Apocalyptic Love, that yeah. we did, that are now staples, mm -hmm. if you will, like a, a song that I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to play every night in a show. That at the time when I recorded it and we, we recorded it together, you know, you maybe don't think this is going to, you know, have lasting power or, right. you know, people are going to, you know, consider it a, a, a favorite song. You don't know. You know, yeah. you just write a song and then that day it, you abandon it. And then you look back a couple of years later and you go, man, that, that song's held up. And it's like a song like Anastasia yeah. is like a, a song that I think maybe at the time, you don't know what to think. It's just like, well, it's just a, mm -hmm. uh, a song on the record. Right. And then a couple of years later, it's like, no, that's a pretty, that's a strong song. That's going to be there just like maybe Slash will have to play Sweet Child of Mine every night. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, so yeah, making... You know, doing things new and relevant is is great with all these awesome, you know, people Did, I've been working that's with. Very cool. What was what was I mean? How is it with the whole back and forth with the Guns N' Roses thing? Like, I mean, when the, when the reunion thing got announced, I mean, did he come to you guys and tell you? I mean, or how did that go down? Yeah, well, um, we were just coming off a long tour, a couple years of uh, uh, World on Fire. Yeah. And we were probably winding down to the way it's kind of worked. Miles Kennedy's always been with Alterbridge as well, as we know. Yeah. So they do a cycle when we, when Slash is doing a record and a tour, mm -hmm. then Miles and, uh, you know, we're, we're touring together as a band. And then, then the cycle goes where Miles will go do a record and a tour with, with mm -hmm. Alterbridge. So we were kind of coming off the tail end of the World on Fire tour. And it was probably going to lean into, yeah, we're, we're probably going to get in the studio and work on some music, but Miles will probably definitely get into Alter Bridge mode. So when Slash mentioned there's a chance to go do a, a Guns N' Roses tour, it was almost like I wasn't surprised because yeah. it seemed like a fitting time for the fans. Yeah. And, I mean, really, I am not... I'm kind of removed from Guns N' Roses because mm -hmm. I work with Slash, but right. I, you know, I, I'm not connected to, to Axl Rose or anybody, right. so... If anything, it was like as a as a friend of Slash, and a band member. I was happy for him because it's like, well, that's a good mm -hmm. that's a good thing, and people will will love it, yeah. you know. And as difficult as it would be for me to say, well, I know you're going to go play with those guys, mm -hmm. but me personally having the chance to always play with different people, yeah. I never took it like, well, this this you know. Yeah, this is over, or what am I going to do I, now? I, it was right, more like, yeah. okay, well, if you're going to go do else, that, yeah. I, I'm, I think it'll be great, and Miles will definitely be able to do, you know, some more Alter Bridge things. And I know how I'm, I am, I'm probably going to go mm -hmm. and and get a phone call from somebody. Hey, Brent, you want to come on the road and and play? And that's exactly what happened. I got yeah. a call from Brad and those guys. So, mm -hmm. and the funny thing was that summer when Slash was out touring with with Guns, uh, we hung out here in Nashville. And he came to the Whitford St. Yeah, Holmes show. He did, yeah. And he got up on And stage. he was very excited. You know, like, we were all both excited for each other, man, because he loves Brad Whitford. Yeah. And so that was great for, for him to come down to the show. And then I went to see him the next night. And, you know, it was kind of like, it was all good. We <laughs> were pretty excited cool. for each other. And, yeah. and then, you know, you just kind of, then he was back out doing that. And I was doing some other things. And then the Gene Simmons gig has, has come up in the last year. And I was doing that. And. And we just always stayed in touch. Yeah. I mean, did he say, like, right off the bat, I'm going to do this tour, but this is not, like, a permanent 
like we're going to get back to doing what we do after this. Yeah, I think Slash yeah. wasn't sure what the plan was, other than there's been some offers for Guns N' Roses, and I'm going to entertain that for a while and see how it goes. Yeah. And I think that was it. You know, like, hard to judge too far ahead. I think maybe there was those Coachella shows were talked about. And, right. And then you just never know. How's it going to go over? How yeah, are right. people going to want this? And, and are they going to like working together again, too? Exactly. Yeah. You know, time changes people's personalities. And, yeah. and clearly, for the better, those guys got a chance to get back on stage. And, and maybe some of the, the antics from back in the day were in the past. You know, the volatility right. of, and, you know, just being uh, older and wiser. Yeah, sure, I'm sure they're partying just as hard with the Slash party and just as hard with you guys as he is with Guns N' Roses. And Guns N' Roses aren't partying like they used to. No. So I mean, it, it seemed everybody like it grows up. Went fairly smooth. Like I didn't hear of it. And like they went on time all the time. And yeah, yeah it seemed like it was a good thing for the band and the band. no riots, yeah. no yeah. nothing. Yeah, I saw <laughs> them play the first two shows in Vegas. Yeah, all of us, Miles. Todd, Frank, and I, we all came. Slash was like, I, you know, I really want you guys to come to the show. And, and he probably was even nervous, you know, to, to have us at, us there because it was the first shows. Yeah. And um, and we all went because, you know, we're all friends. Yeah. And, and, of course, we went to support our bandmate. And uh, and that was cool. We all went to the gig. And and, uh, and then, like I said, I saw Slash later on in the tour. Mm-hmm. And I was out with Brad. and uh, And here we are now. We're back playing music together and you know I'm still playing with Gene yeah. and Miles is still going to be involved in Alter Bridge and Miles has been on a solo tour a very successful you know solo tour and his, yeah and I don't know when that guy out. sleeps he's constantly doing something he's an impressive man you know as a lead singer and the, just the, mm-hmm. the physical responsibilities of yeah. having to sing all the time and, and being healthy and it's pretty impressive Now, deep thoughts with Axel Rose. Have you got anything in common with Iron Maiden? I hope not. World Tour 85, August 7th at Pittsburgh Civic Arena. Put your leather together. Caesar Ingler welcomes Motley Crue and YMT. Pittsburgh, handle it! All right, before we get back into our kick-ass conversation with Brent Fitz, we got to take care of a little more business here at the top, man. You know, i got to tell you, i got a bone to pick with you and Coxie. Okay. I was all excited last week to make a big announcement about Rockin' Pod 2 about who was going to be there. And you guys stole my thunder. You made me wait. You said, you got to wait, you got to wait. So I was waiting for this week to announce it. And then I look on the Facebook, and you guys beat me to the punch. Well, we couldn't hide it anymore. I guess. I understand. Because, man, what a big announcement. Yeah, Brian Head Welch from Corn is going to be at the Expo. So cool. I, it was just one of those things where I was waiting for the go-ahead from management. And then once I got it, I was like, I can't wait anymore. I understand. So, Camaro, uh, you wait. I don't have to. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All right. I get the next one, damn uh, it. Okay. But, yeah, and there's more. 
there's definitely more being planned. Yeah. And uh, we can't say anything, but you'll like it. You'll love it. You'll <laughs> love everything about it. So yeah. if you want to support podcasting, your favorite rock and roll podcasters are all coming together for Rock and Pod Expo 2, just like we did last year. Mm-hmm. And just like last year, we need the support of the people, the rock and rollers all over the world that want to see us succeed. They want to see this happen. They want more people to be able to get a hold of podcasts. You know, there might be rock and rollers out there that forgot about rock and roll because they haven't heard any good stuff in so long. You could turn them onto a podcast. We could turn them onto a podcast. Together, we can change the world. And it all starts with Rock and Pod Expo 2. You want to become a part of it or even just contribute to helping us make it happen. It's real easy. You go to GoFundMe and look up Rock and Pod 2018. Yep. Yeah? That's it. Nice. I and I'll knew have it. a link in the show notes, of course. Um, yeah, just do that. And, you know, if you, it's Saturday, August 25th here in Nashville mm-hmm. at a place called the Nashville Palace. And uh, if you if you could make it, awesome. We'd really want to see you there. We're expecting a really big crowd this year. Yeah. Especially with some of the guests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun time. But if you can't make it and you're one of the thousands of people that listen to this show, if you felt like you got value for your time out of that Vinnie Vincent episode last week, then throw a few bucks our way. Yeah. Just got to go find me even $10. If you throw $10 in it, even if you can't come, you're going to get exclusive audio and be added to a private Facebook group that will get you audio leading all the way up to the expo uh-huh. with members of all the different podcasts getting together and doing special episodes. We're going to do a special Decibel Geek episode that only $10 donors will get. Oh, nice. Yeah, so if you pay 10 bucks, you'll get an episode that none of the rest of the listeners will get. I think I might be teaming up with BJ for the long-awaited Great White episode we've been talking about doing for like four years. He messaged me the other day, and I haven't answered him back yet. (laughs) i got to find the time, man. I was inside the mind of a killer. That's true. Listen to the VIP for yeah, that. Yeah, become a VIP to hear that crazy story about yeah. how how what you've seen about Nashville this last week on oh. the news affected your uh, beloved hosts here. Pretty closely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a good time. And like, but you know, we have a lot of expenses to cover. And uh, so yeah, if you can help us out, if you feel like you've gotten value from listening to our show, there's thousands of you that listen to you, to this show, and only hundreds that have donated. So there's a lot of you listening. That are on the fence, and let me just plead with you: ten bucks is not much. I mean, how right. how often do you go get McDonald's, or how often do you go get right. Arby's, or something? That's that's a meal that you're going to eat, and it's going to be gone. Poof, gone forever. This is something that you know we believe in, and like you're you're going to really show some support for a movement. We really believe this is going to be. I think Rocket Pod could grow to be a huge event every year. Right. But yeah, it's just, we believe it. It's a movement. I think it's got a future, and uh, you're going to help us show that we can replace radio. Yes. With as little as 10 bucks. That's right. Skip Starbucks. Give us $10. Give us $10. And then you'll feel good every week when I keep harassing people to do this. Yeah, and then once you spent that $10 and realize it also gets you into the door in the Rock and Pot Expo, you're going to feel obligated to come. You know, you just tell your wife, hey, I already spent the $10. I feel like I got to go now. It's going to be, it's a, it's a damn good value. Yeah. I mean, it's priced way below other expos. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, yeah. So, uh, help us out with that. And, uh, you know, 
rock and or go to gofundme.com slash rock and pod 2018 link will be in the show notes if you go to the expo uh, page on facebook go to decibel geek we have all the links everywhere yes speaking so, of decibel geek right now if you go to decibelgeek.com you're going to find all kinds of cool stuff you're going to find some really kick-ass reviews that are coming out on the website right now i mean yeah we're all excited about rock and pod we're all excited about vinnie vincent but let's not forget about decibelgeek.com and all the amazing writers that are doing stuff for the website right now do yourselves a favor go there read the articles embrace the rock and roll you love the rock and roll let the rock and roll love you back at decibelgeek.com while you're there hey you want to do some amazon shopping here's the way to do it you're at decibelgeek.com scroll to the top check out our amazon banner click on it boom you're at amazon wow it doesn't look any different it's not any different. Now, you do all your shopping. You buy whatever you want, whether it be Vinnie Vincent's debut album, whether it be any of the multitude of albums that Brent Fitz has been featured on, yeah. or the Bullet Boys debut, or any other of the great bands that we stuff. talk about here on Decibel Geek. It can be that kind of stuff. It can be anything. But the beautiful thing is about it that you don't pay a penny extra than you would for any other shopping experience on Amazon any other time. But since you went through our website and you went through our link... Amazon gives us a little kickback. That doesn't affect what you pay in any way. It's because they take it out of their cut. They give it to us. It helps us out a lot. And what's really cool is they give us the list. Yeah, we get a list of everything you buy each week. And some of the more notable things bought on our Amazon link in the last seven days include a Lightning Cable 5-pack for their iPhone. you got to have your charging cord. Mm-hmm. A Unifix charger dock for micro USB charging port. Uh, cable replacement for a Samsung Galaxy uh, somebody bought two Acer 24-inch LED monitors. Nice. Somebody also bought, I think this is memory sticks, Patriot Signature 8-gigabyte DIMM-DDR3. I don't know, but they, bu- know. they bought 10 of them, so thank you so much for that. See, Maybe. it can be anything. Uh, somebody bought the James Bond collection on Blu-ray. That's cool. Uh, an Adidas men's Ultraboost road running shoe was bought. That's awesome. Some of the stuff, you know. Yeah, anything by anything. Nature's Way licorice root capsules. Ew. Yeah, I don't know if that's... <laughs> well, be healthy. Um, and a Lavoit air purifier was bought. It's allergy season. You need that. Oh, that thing's that licorice thing's not candy. <laughs> I don't think so. It doesn't sound appealing as candy. Maybe as vitamins. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, for the music that was purchased, Station's album More Than the Moon was bought. Right on. That's good stuff. Yes. Blackberry Smoke, Find a Light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is the new Ghost album. It's called Prequel. You know what? Metal Mike got me to listen to the new song by them. Is I it good? Actually, I actually kind of like yeah, it. Yeah, he's always like, you pretty... can't say that song sucks. And no, I was like, it, well, it was actually really good. I can't say it because I still haven't listened to it. You ought to check it out. You I might will. You might change your opinion on that band. My, They're my, actually not bad. My Maybe that's the new album. Uh, Cheap Trick original album classics was bought. Right on. Judas Priest Firepower continues to sell through our link. Yeah. Uh, somebody really loves the sword. They bought Age of Winners, used, Forge, used Future Warp Riders, and Apocryphon. The sword is a pretty good band. We've the never. I don't think we've ever played a song by them on the hmm. show. Maybe we should change that soon. Yeah, you can. Also, Warrant playlist, the very best of Warrant. A lot to choose from there. And I have to say, if you for the, I'm sorry to bring Rock and Pod up again, but if you get that ten dollar exclusive audio, uh, I heard there was recently a 
Warrant Cherry Pie Roundtable episode that was oh, wow. put, that was done. Oh, nice for that stream uh, with BJ Cramp and a, a cast of others, including Ian Wadley, who apparently was the voice of dissent on the episode. Really? So I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, that's ten dollars to hear that. Um, pay that for that alone. Right, and then uh, rounding it out, Motley Crue greatest hits on vinyl was bought. Sweet, that's awesome. Thank you, everybody. Whether you're buying weird computer stuff or things for your <laughs> phone or rock and roll records. We appreciate it very much. Keep doing your shopping through Amazon at decibelgeek.com. And like I said, give some love to our writers because they're kicking ass more than ever, really. I mean, the website's still kicking ass. And, uh, you know, go say hi to our friends, our other podcasters that are also involved in Rockin' Pod, too. And you can get all the information at decibelgeek.com. All right, let's get back to our talk with Brent. Can we talk a little bit about the Kulik brothers? Oh yeah. So, how does this come about? I mean, like, does does Bob put this together? I know you guys are both in Vegas, or or how how do you end up getting that connection? Obviously, with Bruce with Union, but like, and then Brent being a part of you know you and Brent also have a band. You mean Todd? Oh, I mean you and Todd. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's Every day, day someone says to me, uh, oh. Todd, or yeah, Todd. I'll say, oh, okay. Yeah, someone called me uh, Brent today. It's just you know we're we're too. Long-haired, black-haired, uh, tall Canadian guys. <laughs> Sorry. The connection is the Kiss cruise mm-hmm. in a way because not the recent cruise, the last cruise. Right. I played on it with Brad mm-hmm. and Derek. Okay. So that was my first Kiss cruise. Mm-hmm. Having the experience on the cr- Kiss cruise, I happened to be talking to Bruce and Bob about it. I, of course, I'm, I've always stayed. You know, friends and in touch with Bruce, even though we hadn't played together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about the cruise, and I think Bruce was like, "Well, how was it?" You know, and and I know that a lot of the fans had, you know, maybe they had polls to say, "What would you like to see on the next cruise?" And I think Bruce had been like top of everybody's list. Yeah, I voted. <laughs> there you go. So maybe it was the right time for them to suggest something with having Bruce on the cruise. Yeah, yeah. And and Bruce and Bob maybe participating in some conventions or something together. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it, the difficulty was, well, if they have Bruce and Bob, what would they do? Would they just appear? Mm-hmm. Could they play together or separately? Or And because Bruce and I have already had prior, uh, you know, working mm-hmm. relationship, as does Todd, because Todd, Bruce and I played together when Bruce released his, Last solo record, BK3. Yeah, BK3. You, yeah. yeah you, did, oh, Todd played on that too? Well, he fronted it when we did a release party in L.A. Oh, okay. And and I introduced Bruce to Todd, and Todd, you know, was uh, Bruce didn't know Todd. I go, hey, if there's anyone that I know that can sing yeah. those songs that you, you know, played with Kiss, yeah. it's going to be Todd, because those Todd. are not easy songs. Mm-mm. Paul Stanley in yeah. the 80s in particular, oh, a lot of gymnastics. they tuned up half a step. Yeah. They weren't in E flat, you know. Like that stuff was really, really mm-hmm. well recorded and sung, and uh, and so you know who's going to sing all those? You know, Paul included. You know, like the, right. uh, difficult. Man. So um, my phone's blowing up here. Uh, so Todd had had done that gig mm-hmm. with us, uh, you know, a few years back. So it just kind of made sense. Like yeah. Bruce was talking about the cruise. I said it's great, and mm-hmm. and then they got asked, hey, maybe you could be on the cruise. And, of course, Todd gets mentioned. And, and the whole thing, I don't 
I'm pretty sure we didn't actually put enough stock in it at the time to be like, well, this is going to be a great thing. It was a one-off possibility of like, hey, let's put this band together. We'll play Bruce's songs. Maybe it'll be cool because Bob and Bruce together, Mm -hmm. it'll be topical. Both, you know, brothers and, 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 you know, Bob has a whole legacy with Kiss, all the the solo stuff and Side 4, Paul's solo stuff. Isn't that funny how, you know, we just didn't know what it was going to be? It wound up being like the greatest set list. You know, it was like a Kiss fan's wet dream set list. It's pretty cool. Because you've got all this great stuff from Paul's solo album. You've got, you know, all of Bruce's stuff. Through, if you know, if you were a fan through the '80s, it was like it was just an awesome set. And you, the chemistry between you guys was great. Like, I mean, you guys sounded like you'd been playing together for years. Yeah, we didn't get much rehearsal. I can tell you that. And it was just because we were really busy. We picked the songs. We thought, well, these are going to be the songs that will, will work well. How do we fit in it in, into our schedule? Bob in Vegas. Todd mm-hmm. and I live in Vegas, but we were on the road a lot. And, Bruce was in LA, so we found a quick little day and a half to, to put it together, and wow. that was it. And that was Jeez. a month before the cruise. Oh, wow. And we were just hoping for the best. So when we got on the cruise, even then it was kind of like, well, and Bob, honestly, I don't think he'd, he, we had jammed together, but he hadn't played on stage in many, many years. Wow. So he was really taking it seriously, like, man, I haven't played in front of people. Yeah, it's a big comeback for him. Yeah, because he's comeback. mostly in the studio all the time. And the the great thing about Todd fronting it is Todd is a great front guy. Yeah. And he's so good at the dots that connect the not only the, the show as a whole, but all the in-between the songs. Mm-hmm. He's just a great fucking front guy. Yeah. He's one of my, my best friends and, and my favorites. And a fucking unbelievable singer. So, But Todd was having to play bass. He mm-hmm. wasn't playing guitar. So here's the thing is I remember while we were doing the gig, and I think... Bob hadn't experienced Todd, the front guy, officially until we got on stage that day. And he was like, holy shit, this is like, like you know, because just Todd knew how to, to yeah, you know, he carried, make, yeah. make a great show out of it. So it was great to see, you know, to, uh, the nervous Bob and the nervous Bruce as to how is this going to go over. And they were just instantly like at ease. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be great. Right. These people are going to love these songs mm. and hopefully it goes over, you know. The way it, it should. Oh, whatever. And on the did. Kiss Cruise, yeah, even better. it's such a great environment. Oh, yeah. Everybody's happy to be there. And I was so happy on the last Kiss Cruise because, again, I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm at home. Yeah. I'm a huge Kiss fan. I'm amongst all these fans. And everybody mm-hmm. mingles and hangs out. The band makes themselves, like, Kiss makes themselves available. All the mm-hmm. other bands do. Have you guys been on the? I have, we have not. No. no. Well, I, I follow it every year with great interest. We're, we're fathers with uh, wives, and it rarely can be affordable. Yeah, fair enough. We'd love to go, but yeah, it's it's, it's even fam family friendly though. Like yeah. Jeremy, not from, when you have my wife, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, I was gonna say from Jeans Band brought his little son on the on the cruise yeah. uh, this past year, and he had a great time. I'm sure it's a handful to you know. And, <laughs> Ryan Ryan Cook here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna go lay down. Hey. You know we're not scripted, so I'm gonna go lay down. Okay. <laughs> Guest appearance by Ryan Cook. Hi guys, take these with you. Oh, thank you. Aww. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, that's cool. From Bolivia, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's oh, nice. Okay. That's awesome. Cool, See you right? a little bit. Thank you, man. Yeah, we Thanks. just went oh, he's got the gene poster on the back. We, went to, solo. we did a that's really awesome. great uh, South American run so cool. recently with Gene. Yeah. And I had never been to Bolivia, and I had been to South America many, many times, and that had been bypassed. Or, you know, Argentina for sure, mm-hmm. Brazil, uh, Venezuela... Um, just most of the, the typical places that we always played and never Bolivia so 
That's great. The uh, the Kiss Army in Bolivia is fantastic and alive and well. So, well, uh, well we some posters. with regard to the Kulik brothers, mm. um, when you did do the rehearsal, what's the what is, it, what is it like with Bruce and Bob working together? Because they they both seem incredibly serious about their their jobs. So, and like I I, I listened to some interviews with Bob in particular about the set list choices mm-hmm. and that apparently like they really agonized over what songs were I going to they be did. played well there was just basically we knew songs we'd have to play yeah because you know it's not like bob played on a ton of records right but he definitely played on those paul stanley solo songs mm-hmm. and kiss alive 4 stuff and some killer stuff yeah, so that killer, was like yeah. if we could do all of those yeah or most of it there we go. Mm-hmm. That's the important stuff. And then Bruce, we had what four records to pick from, yeah, yeah. Uh, or more. And uh, you know, a little bit has to be discussed, like what what works for Todd to mm-hmm. sing, yeah. and what works for um, like I have some some choices that I want because you know we're we're a living breathing band mm-hmm. now, and you know we're going to do some more shows. Oh, so good. I'm there's going to be that. definitely some other songs we didn't play. That we'll get a chance to to. Uh, I don't think we're we're not a bunch of guys that are going to argue over what should we play. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of like, well, what makes sense and and keep it fresh. Well, I know Bob co-wrote Naked City. I would love to hear that'd be that cool. One. Oh yeah, because Gene won't do it. Yeah, so that's a great one. Yeah, uh, also a tough one to sing. It's a, well, yeah. that's why I don't know if Gene would play it because it, it's a it's in a very high register. Todd could handle it though. I think Todd could handle it, and I love um, I love Forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know Bruce's guitar solo on that is great. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. And there's there's other stuff on on Crazy Nights or uh, when y'all did Turn on the Night. I, I mean that that you know I love Crazy Nights as it is, but like I know a lot of fans are like it's too slick. It's the guitars aren't up enough in the mix. So when you guys did that live, it was like this is kind of what Kiss fans would have wanted it to sound like because it's a little bit heavier on guitars. Yeah, I mean it's going to be a live setting anyway. It's just yeah. that's the way we, we we wanted it to translate like a good up tempo live band. And yeah. there's a lot of harmonies on mm-hmm. some of that stuff too, which just are almost impossible to to replicate. But yeah, but all those songs are catchy and Very, fun, and yeah. they're, they're they just kind of play themselves. There's a lot of cool songs on. Uh, well, there's still stuff on Revenge. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. We, it's easy to say any of those anything is possible. That's any of those songs could be done. It's just a matter of deciding. Okay, well, let's just do you know a couple different revenge tunes. And, and I've got friends that other friends that host podcasts, and they were on the cruise when you guys played. Yeah. And a couple of them even told me they actually teared up hearing some of those songs live. You know, uh, special. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you didn't, you never expect to hear "Turn on the Night" live. I mean, oh, that's awesome. It's nice to hear that because you know. Not knowing at the time, mm-hmm. as a performer on stage, it's it's a living in the moment experience. Yeah. We played, and I, I realized, while well, these people are really enjoying these songs, and people are yeah. responding, awesome. But after we did it, you kind of go, all right, cool, that was great, guys. Let's go eat. Yeah, you know, and you kind of like just and then sleep it off the mm-hmm. next day, and then talking to people the next day on the cruise is like <laughs> either you know if if they saw it, they yeah. wanted to you know make a mention that man, it was. Those songs were great. You know, you guys, I haven't heard any of those songs before. Mm. And then there was a few people that just missed it because they didn't know. Oh, you know, yeah. there's a lot of things going on in the boat. And they were like, I heard I missed this fantastic set from you guys. And, yeah. and we only played the one time. Yeah. So it was it was kind of ironically special. But what's interesting is the post, like once we got off the cruise, yeah. 
you can't really put that stuff on to YouTube and because and, mm-hmm. there's no Wi-Fi on the boat. So right. everybody was holding on to this footage until they got home. Yeah. And like a week or two oh, later when it all started it. to surface. Yeah. Isn't it crazy how the world lives now? Like the gig actually lives on YouTube. Yeah. Oh, if it wasn't for YouTube, I wouldn't have seen it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and myself included. Yeah. I had to go back and I'm like, okay, well, I should go watch it. Was it good? I don't know. I played it. But it's, you can't really judge yourself. Right. And not, it not to like I want to go watch my you know yeah. something I already had played but everyone was like it was really great you should uh, check it out and it's cool how people have edited a bunch of the, the different footage together multi, and multi-angle we yeah. never recorded it from the soundboard so there's not like a true pristine mm. version sonically but you know cameras capture the moment and the spirit so it's all there yeah guys in the band you know a week later or two we were just like i guess people really liked it because it just <laughs> became a little buzzworthy off the it off really the boat. did for sure yeah. uh, you guys were the talk of the cruise even though kiss pulled out some real rarities too oh i was pretty impressed when yeah. they opened with sweet no what did they open with it was uh, um what did they open uh with? is that you that is that you oh, and then that they, was awesome and they really threw everybody for a loop they played rock and roll all night and then they went into i like, i know yeah. it was like thank you good night away. nope yeah, yeah, that was cool. Now we're going to play the rarest of the rare. Yeah. Yeah. But those are the gems, those special moments when you don't, oh, what are they going to play? Isn't mm-hmm. that cool? Like, yes. you know, because yeah. there's a lot of, when a band's been around for so many years, there's yeah. just songs that are going to be those expected songs. And Kiss has so many great songs. You know, like, right. there's so yeah. many in their catalog. Like, yeah. I don't think you're going to go wrong with throwing a few obscure oh, that's songs. That's what I love about it. Yeah. At this point, that's what we have left. Because yeah. we're diehards, we've seen them so many times, and it's like, yeah. you know, I love Love Gun. It's a great song, but I, you know, if I don't hear it live and you play, you know, Sweet Pain instead, I'll I'll be more than happy. Yeah, but then you got to know from the other's perspective of but that. There are, there's yeah, going to be people, people that go, too. "What? They didn't play rock and roll all night." Yeah. When the other half are going to be like, "Well, that's awesome. They freed up room for some other song right. that I've never heard them play live yeah. before." Because yeah. you're always going to get well, that. And and, mm-hmm. and the Gene Simmons band. Setless in Lynn, Massachusetts. I mean, you guys were pulling yes. all the stops on that one. It, yeah. Even that day when we did a sound check, I don't think we had a defined set list. We had worked on a few She's So European yeah. and I think I, but did we play Almost Human that night? Mm-hmm. We might have. Yes. And I don't think that was planned, even though we had played it before, but sometimes like just in sound check because we love to jam. Yeah. So, you know somebody plays the riff to, to almost hey we should play that tonight you know and then yeah. it just kind of becomes I love that it's so that cool. loose though where you can just decide on the fly yeah we'll just do that one tonight yeah well you're not I'm, timing bombs and stuff it so it's easier that way I'm here in Nashville right now because we were at G, you know Gene's vault event yes. on Saturday and uh, and we worked up some other songs we've been here rehearsing so yeah. I'm not gonna say over the I'll let Gene be the... Uh, <laughs> Just forget this is right here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we learned another cool tune off uh, Lick It Up. I can say that. So, um, hmm. I have an idea. Okay, well. 
But you're not going to say one way or the other if I say the name of the song. I'm not going to tell you. Okay. But we'll we'll definitely play it soon enough. So, um, and and that's why I'm so glad he's got you guys as his band. You know, we're like we said when we started saying this about your how a band right comes in and respects the artist, respects the legacy, and has a genuine enough love for that legacy to say, well, what about this one? What about that one? What about this song? You know, and and know that if I'm excited about this, playing it with Gene, what are the fans going to think when yeah. they hear it? Yeah, because you, you guys are fans. You're absolutely right. So we tend to pick stuff that we, we yeah. as fans, would be um, suggesting, and it, it easily could be overlooked by the person that wrote the song. Well, mm-hmm. oh, I wrote that 30 years ago. And, however, I don't have the emotions attached to the song the same way Gene would. You know, I just right. remember spinning the shit out of, you know, all those records. Unmasked, you know, yeah. I love every song on Unmasked, or, yeah. you know. But maybe, you know, he, uh, he's not thinking the same. Well, the other guys have told told us that, yeah. that like, they'll, they'll bring up, like, one of these songs. Like, you know, she's so European and Gene's like... Are you on crack? That's we're pretty obscure, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's so great to play. Like we were jamming it, it yesterday. It sounded great. And uh, and it's a very interesting arrangement. Mm-hmm. Not very Kiss-like. Yeah. Most Yet, of his stuff on that album is, is different. Not very Kiss-like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But when Gene sings something, it's very Gene Simmons. Yeah. And that's what makes it great. Is right. I love, you know, because he puts his stamp on it. So any song that's that, you know. Even Gene sang on Bruce's solo record. He sang on oh, I love BK3. That song. Yeah. And it's yeah. cool because when you die. hear Gene's voice, yeah. you know it's yeah. it's very Gene. BK3 is a damn good record. Really, really good. Bruce really, he, he kind of nailed it on that because, you know, there was uh, some other, you know, like uh, uh, Doug Feger from Yeah, I love that from song. The Knack. I think Girl. it's the last thing he sang and it played on before he passed. Yeah. And I'm a huge Knack fan. That song is great. And Nick Simmons sang a really cool song yeah. too. Yeah. Hand of the King. Hand of the King. Yeah. That's a good tune. Mm-hmm. And and I played on that and didn't know um, we had recorded it probably a year before I had gone back with Bruce and he had sort of like put it all together and finished it mm-hmm. so I actually got to hear it with all the singers on it and I, I almost not that I'd forgotten the songs but you know I didn't hear them complete right so and that's one thing when you record drums as the drummer you don't always get the finished product you're kind of like you're you're the, you're the groundwork the, yeah all the groundwork starts with the drums and then not you know if, if I've played off a demo or something I might not know how the song's going to end up and mm-hmm. same thing with Slash Records yeah. a lot of times I'm going oh that's what Miles was going to sing you know, we jam some things out, and he's got a rough idea, but it might not be completely understood. And then afterwards, I hear it, and I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I played, you know, something that was cool that fit in with the song so right. that it didn't overstep the vocals. But, yeah, uh, yeah that BK record um, was recorded, and then, you know, I got to revisit it later. Oh, I had Doug Finger sing on this track, yeah. and I was like, what track? I don't remember the song. So uh, and that's a great sounding album. Like it, it sounds like a big, big budget rock record. The well, production on it's great. Yeah, he had a guy named Brian Virtue mix it and record it, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was recorded in L.A. You mm-hmm. know, the drums were done in a great studio, and and uh, you know, Bruce put the time in on that. I was told that uh, you had an interesting experience with uh, Vince Neil on a uh, makeover thing that he did for VH1. Well, he shot a. It was called remaking. Yeah, yeah. Where you got the facelift and all that. Yeah, I mean, it came out in '94, so it probably mm-hmm. lives on YouTube now. You can you it can does. see it. Yeah. And 
at the time, they I didn't know what was going on. You know, it's like we're on tour and they're gonna um, they're filming a bunch of stuff on the road. And they said, well, you know, Vince is gonna have a makeover. So there there was like all of a sudden uh, there's no alcohol around, and there was uh, plans to do a gig in Vegas to to mm. culminate the the uh, the change in. <laughs> everything yeah, that it was Vince we're going to give him a new look and cut his hair and everything and he's yeah. going to have some surgery and we were like okay this is <laughs> does it just like get sprung on you one day out of nowhere yeah I mean kind of like you know we heard about it but we yeah. weren't sure what was going on and that yeah. you know some cameras had followed us around and, and Vince went and recorded that song yeah. with Desmond Child yeah. and then yeah. we started to, to okay we're going to learn that song we're mm-hmm. going to play it live and uh, it was pretty interesting yeah they cut his hair and they made his hair brown and, and uh, yeah he looked very he was time. with a trainer that whole time, and and then you know, the, and the the song and the uh, uh, I forget what happened, but we we played at the Palms in Vegas. Uh, yeah, that was like the the unveiling. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Vince stayed with the the short brown no. hair very no. long. No, <laughs> wasn't quite his his look. But yeah, he, and he, it's he too late to change Vince well, Neil into something that wasn't Vince and Neil. And he didn't yeah. seem all that jazzed about it even during the 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 taping of it. Like he's in there with Desmond, and he's like. You really want me to sing? I like that. Desmond's like, trust me on this. That was a cool song. It was the, a good song. I, I heard the it. demo, and, and, I, and Desmond actually sang the demo, and I thought it was cool. I saw Desmond recently here in Nashville, and it was yeah. interesting that I was with Gene earlier that night. Mm-hmm. We'd been rehearsing, and then I was staying at the, the hotel downtown, mm-hmm. and Philip and I were just saying goodbye at the lobby, and we were mentioning music or something, uh-huh. and Desmond was just coming... Uh, out to get his car at valet yeah. and he just kind of stopped and looked at us hey you guys you guys in a, in a band or something uh-huh. you know like the, the typical yeah. just stop and make small talk and we were like yeah and I go hey Desmond how's it going uh-huh. you know I recognize where, he's like oh hi and I go uh, I worked with Vince uh-huh. when you you know did the song Promise Me on the, on the and he was like wow you know just kind of like reconnected our dots and I said hey yeah. we're, we're playing with Gene right now we were just uh, out for dinner and rehearsing mm-hmm. and blah 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 so That's but cool. uh yeah, it was funny. I ran into Desmond just. Yeah, we got to here. go to his studio here in Nashville and, and interview him. Awesome. He bought a bank branch building. Oh, cool. And the upstairs where the tellers were is now his office, and the bank vault area is his studio. It's a pretty cool. sweet setup. It's yeah. a really cool setup. It's it's really unique. I noticed he was just obviously in Cleveland too because for the Bon Jovi Bon induction. Jovi getting inducted. Yeah. 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 Pretty wild. Oh, I feel. Funny thing is, I've been playing with Phil X too. Oh, really? Who you know is now yeah. in the band, but Phil and I go way back to in Canada. He's from Toronto, mm-hmm. and when I was playing with a band from Winnipeg, we opened in '90 or '91 some Aldo Nova mm. shows. Remember right. Aldo Nova oh, yeah, sure. from Canada yeah. had that hit Fantasy, Fantasy and some yeah. others. He also had a, a a record that came out in the '90s mm-hmm. that John Bon Jovi's record label put out. It was Blood on the Brick Tops. You got it. it. Yeah. And Phil was the guitar player. Hmm. At that time, so anyway, we met on tour, and uh, so we we were kind of like not we weren't friends mm. uh, until he moved to L.A. in the '90s when I had moved there, and we you know I don't know if Canadians gravitate towards each other. <laughs> we were like surprised. Oh, you ended up here too. Cool. Right. And uh, so we were kind of friends in L.A. And, and then here we are years later, and we started to work together on a few things. And, and he's moved to Vegas, so we've been oh, seeing wow. a lot of each other. We've been you know playing some gigs on and off. So. The world gets smaller. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it's it's crazy how it the same circle of people tend to, to oh, yeah. run with all of these 
these groups. Yeah. It's not as big of a music world as you really think it is. There's connections all over the place. Right. Truly is. Yeah. And, and all the bands I've been in, you know, like uh, uh, when I played in the Bullet Boys for a short blip around 2000, 99, 2000, yeah. Mark Turin had asked me to do some recording and a couple shows. Mark Turin, singer from the Bullet Boys. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were working with Andy Johns. Yeah. You know, legendary. Legendary. So that was appealing. It was like, we're going to go in the studio and do some tunes. Do you want to come and play a couple shows? And I was like, that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love to. And I'd been playing with Union, you yeah. know, and we were all sort of just uh, pairing off into doing some other things. I think Bruce had just started to work with Grand Funk, and, mm-hmm. and John was playing with rap. Yeah. yeah. So I went over and worked with, with Mark in the studio, and Jason Hook was the guitar player at the time. And Jason Hook is now Five has been Death in Five Finger Death Punch right. for many years, and they've gone on to huge, huge success. Jason's also from Toronto. He's okay. also good friends with Phil X. And so Jason and I met Canadian, a couple Canadian Asian. dudes, you know, hey, how's it going, you know, uh, in the Bullet Boys. And we became, wow. you know, best friends in that band. And we, we wrote some songs together with Mark, and we, we recorded with Andy Johns. And uh, I didn't end up staying too long. I, I did a few shows, and I got the call from Vince Neil around that time to go and, and do some gigs. And it just turned into, like, Vince got really busy really fast. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going on the road with him. And Jason stayed with the Bullet Boys for a while. And then fast forward to a year or so after being in with Vince, it worked out that, like, we needed Jason to come play with Vince Neil or however it... I can't even <laughs> remember how it went down, but, but Jason joined Vince Neil. And then even after that, Jason and I played together. Did we play in Alice Cooper together? I either recommended Jason for Alice first, mm-hmm. but um, I did end up playing, filling in for Eric Singer on the Alice okay. Cooper gig. And Jason had also been in the Alice Cooper camp at that time. And uh, isn't that crazy that how small the world really yeah. was? What years were you with Alice? I played... Uh, hmm. Was that been around the reunion of Kiss? Is that when Eric went back... Yes. After that? So or when after, was Eric yeah. going back? When he got, when he went into the makeup with Kiss? Yes. Yeah. 2001. No, I didn't play with Alice until about 2007. Oh, okay. 2006 or 7. I think the summer of 2006 I did some shows. Well, he yes. was, well Aaron, now Eric did a few shows in 2001. Then he was out for a couple of years. Then he got back with Kiss in 2004. But, yeah, that's right. Well, I was playing yeah. when I was asked to go fill in for Eric mm. I was actually on tour with a band from Canada Theory of a Dead Man yeah, yeah. I remember that so after Vince Neil there was the Vince was going to go back and do a, a it was a Motley Crue official reunion yeah mm-hmm. you know those guys much like Slash getting back with yeah. Guns N' Roses Motley was going to do a big tour and I had played with Vince for almost five four or five years up to that point mm-hmm. and I went out with Theory of a Dead Man and it just it was a strange thing where in the middle of a tour Eric and I had talked and he was going to go do a, a Kiss gig but it wasn't like a full tour or something he had a you know a few little things and he just asked me you know hey is there any way would you want to you know fill in on the Alice gig but I'm going to come back and and I was like well I could probably swap out my theory of a dead man gig <laughs> so we ended up both trading off and and uh, the gigs yeah, you know right. I had a fill in for myself on theory Eric had me fill in on Alice Cooper, and I did it a couple times with with Eric. Right, they would call me, "Hey, we need you to come out." Eric's going to do Kiss, and I would just, 
I wasn't the regular drummer on tour, but yeah. I would go and yeah. fill in wow. and just you know plug myself in. And that's when Jason or or Carrie Kelly was playing guitar yeah. with Alice, and both Jason and Carrie Kelly were had played with me in in Vince Neil. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so you know, an again. Alice Cooper gig. That's a that's a difficult gig. The great thing about when I filled in on those gigs was there was limited or no rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So the pressure of having to yeah, plug in your stuff. and basically be Eric, but be myself mm-hmm. and just sort of learn the show in the middle of the tour. They're already on the road. It's not like yeah. they started a tour. They were like, hey, Brent, we're going to fly out to Australia mm-hmm. and you're going to start in Perth or whatever it was. So and, you're uh, the only piece of the machine that hasn't been in rotation already. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I bet. You know, to nail a show. And the great thing about Alice's set is, and the difficult thing, is it's it's basically a choreographed entire show. Oh, There's yeah. There's really not a break other mm-hmm. than, you know, the songs are a lot of segues. Right. And bits and pieces put together. Yeah, he doesn't so you talk can, to the audience much. Yeah, and there's a lot of... Um, you know what's going on while the songs are playing yeah. is you know visual things and and stuff that's going on that you kind of have to follow. Yeah. So you're not just drumming. Right. It's, it's a, like a. It's like a play. It is. Sure. Yeah. yeah. There's scenes in between the songs. And I don't know how you can rehearse that without rehearsing it. I don't you know what I mean? No. So I watched video and I, I hoped for the best. And they were like, well, you know, this is going to come out here. Alice is going to get hung and and, uh, <laughs> and, da, 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 and you're going to have to catch the top hat at the end. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> this is, there's no room for drums. error. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it was more than just playing drums. And yeah. then a drum solo. And yeah. I'm not a drum solo guy. You're not? I've always been, you know, play for the song. Yeah. So just the idea of, like, having to prepare for, well, you know, and it's usually because Alice is going to do a costume change or something. Right. It's not like you need a drum solo just to feature the drummer. There's a lot of things involved in the show that that a drum solo makes sense. Yeah, it's like a set change. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. those were like <laughs> very stressful for me. I bet. And I had just come off another band. You know, I'm still. I have so many set lists in my head. <laughs> I bet you from do. all these gigs over the years. Like that one goes in the back burner. Okay, yeah. got, got twenty. You know, Kulik Brothers songs. Coming in, you know, yeah. in the next month, and Gene Simmons songs, and, oh, wow. and the Slash set list, and, and Aerosmith, uh, Brad Woodford, and Darren. <laughs> it's like, can okay. I add some Ace Fraley to the mix? Yeah. And now some Ace Fraley. And, Man, uh, you know what that means? We're going to get to hear Torpedo Girl. Yeah, we're hoping for all the Wiped Wiped out, since you guys are back. Save Your Love. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I already texted I uh, Ryan and Phil. Like a whole list of songs I want them to do. God, well, I better say it on the podcast and then I can listen back later. <laughs> Ozone, Snowblind, yeah. What's on Your Mind. Yeah. I've got a whole list. Yeah, awesome. Oh, yeah. Even, and even some of the Fraley's comments stuff, stuff Stranger to Strange Trump. Land. Trouble Walking. Trouble Walking. Yeah. 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 Oh, I like some weird Ace Fraley stuff like uh, Off the Live <laughs> plus one or four. Yeah. Words are not enough. Not enough. Yeah. I love that stuff. You got to get a synthesizer up on stage for that one, though. That's right. Yeah. But if you're gonna yeah, do that, you, gotta, you might as well play Dancing with, Dance with Danger off of uh, Second Sighting. Hey. Oh wow. Okay. See? We're talking on the podcast. Tell yeah. me about Dancing with Danger. What about it? Do you know about it? Do you know who wrote it? No, I have no idea. Well, I'm, I'm gonna tell I've you got right a now. Question. Does yeah. anybody know what a cocoa wheel is? What's a cocoa wheel? I don't know. I've always wondered that. Oh, Frozen fingers on a cocoa wheel, right? Isn't that the lyric in the song? Frozen fingers on a cocoa wheel. I don't know what he's singing. Hot emotions that you can't conceal. Well, we should find out because the song is written by Streetheart. Oh, for real? Yes. Wow. I had no idea. How about the interesting connection on that? So the Streetheart guys 
The album is called Dancing with Danger. Okay. Came out in '83. Mm-hmm. It was produced by Spencer Proffer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple different artists from Canada that worked with Spencer Proffer that had songs that ended up on different artists in the States on their really? records. Oh, wow. There's a band called Kickaxe. Oh, yeah. yeah. From yeah. They had their own vices. You know it well, yeah. 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 Well, right, they were produced by Spencer Proffer as well. But they wrote a song called Hunger that ended up on a King Cobra record. I know that song. And oh, another wow. song called Piece of the Rock. So yeah, there is some correlation there with those Canadian bands and the Spencer Proffer thing and... And the Street Heart record was also produced by, but it by Spencer. And the song "Dancing with Danger." I don't know the connection on how it ended up mm-hmm. with Ace Frehley, but it That's is wild. a Street Heart song. And if you maybe wild. look at the credits, it should say Kenny Shields, Daryl Gautil, Ken Snave, uh, you know, all the writers of the songs. What wow. a full circle way to come around on the conversation. Yeah, it's See, crazy, right? Well, you, That's just, wild. you just saved me the trouble because I knew one day when we'd have Ace on the show, I was going to ask him what the hell a Coco Wheel is, and he's just going to be like, ask the guys from Streetheart. Yeah. There's another song that Streetheart <laughs> did called <clears throat> Hot Cherie. Oh, is that the mm. one that Hardline did? Yes. Nice. Really? I thought Hardline wrote that song. Of course you think. Wow. So I gotta go hear out. the original now. If you go just YouTube all this stuff, you can see that no Streetheart wrote it back in eight it was on a, a record called Buried Treasure, okay. which was more like an outtakes record. Right. And it was a faster version and it also Danny Spanos recorded it. I had another no artist idea. in the in the eighties. And then it ended up on the Hardline album yeah, which I, I love, love i love that yeah. song i love that yeah. here's a, a strange story i have about hardline streetheart and at a gig okay so in canada in winnipeg outside of winnipeg there was a maybe it was 2004 there was a show i did with vince neal up there kenny shields and streetheart were playing uh that weekend it was like a festival mm-hmm. journey was playing and dean castronovo from Hardline in Journey at the time uh, was on the gig and I had met him a few times but we were all backstage and I remember talking to to Dean that night about uh, how much I loved Hardline I never really actually met him and got to you know say hey man I I really love that Hardline record and I said did you know that that song you guys wrote Hot Cherie was written by the band that's also playing tonight or tomorrow this band Mm -hmm. locally called Streetheart And, and Dean was like I didn't know anything about that you know Honestly, he didn't know either yeah. that they didn't write that song. It was probably just a song that was brought to the band. Yeah. And uh, wow. so how crazy, you know, is that? That's pretty wild. Yeah. So yeah. Streetheart has, you know, several songs that are connected to some other bands, and, and nobody knows a, that. Now we're going to have to do a Streetheart episode. Yeah. There you go. We love digging into stuff like this, like the obscure stuff like that. You know, Isn't it cool? Oh, it's the best. That's yeah. the best part of being a fan. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't need to hear uh, Paradise City. I could listen to that, you know. Or, you know, anything, you know. Like, we always like deep tracks. Any songs we play yeah. is deep cuts. We don't, you can That's hear we were, stuff on the We were just talking outside before we came in here about the possibility of maybe getting Eric Singer on the show one day and what we would do. And we both agreed the best thing to do with him would be uh, Albums Unleashed on the old Sabbath album. Seventh Star. Seventh Star. And how fun that would be. We well, don't like to you talk know, about the normal stuff. We like to dig in. I think Eric and I are similar in... We Your both worked with a lot of different similar. bands yeah. and yeah. played on a lot of different records with people. And I'm, Eric is one of my, my dearest friends, and I love hearing Eric's stories, too, because I know a lot of them, and I won't share his stories. You can ask him. Right. But just knowing, you know, he worked with Badlands and Black Sabbath and Lita yeah. Ford and Gary Moore mm-hmm. and 
all those things that led up to the, you know, maybe most people know him from, from being in Kiss, yeah. but there's so many other right. you know, stuff he had done. And and done some other things that maybe not everybody, you know, had known that he had, you know, um, mm-hmm. not to share his personal thing, but he told me once that he was uh, in a video for like Olivia Newton John or something. <laughs> I've seen it. You've seen it? Yeah. I didn't know that. It was that. like the I first like, time what? he was ever on camera. It's, it's a, yeah. Is he playing drums? Yeah, he looks yeah. like a child. Wow. Yeah, he was in a music video. <laughs> it was like the early to mid 80s. It was probably right, right when he got to Hollywood. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. It, it's definitely not a hard rock song in the least, yeah. but uh, yeah, That's it's pretty true. funny to watch. Yeah, yeah, he he looks like a little kid in the video. <laughs> but yeah, I don't remember how I found it. I think somebody sent it to me, and like, look who the drummer is. Like, oh wow, it's Eric Singer. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a um, myself. I played. Uh, I I shot a music video for a friend of mine, Chad Brownlee. He's a Canadian country artist, really mm-hmm. great. And they did a, a a shoot in L.A. for a video. And I just appeared in his videos like a couple years ago, mm-hmm. but out of nowhere, you know, I just hey, do you mind being in a in a video today? So you know, just learn the song that day, go to the video shoot, and mm-hmm. and uh, be on camera. And the bass player in the video was from the London Choir Boys. Yeah. Oh wow. So oh, him wow. and I, he's in L.A. and we both appeared in the music video. That's and, wild. And that was it. Do you have? Are you, what is your experience on making music videos? Do you, is it as much torture as I've always heard from everyone else? Well. Um, they're usually a lot quicker than people think. Like for for me, a, a video is usually a one day thing. Yeah. You spend the day playing the song down a bunch of times, yeah. and then you're done. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's a belaggered, you know, like a movie where you're on a movie set. For, yeah, it's just most of maybe just like oh yeah. You know, I guess a lot of those stories or... probably come from back in the day when a music video kind of was like yeah. a small movie. Like we yeah. had Nick Sweet on last week, and they're talking about the. Well, smooth they made up, some pretty... smooth up in your video. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, God, it's like 12 to 14 hour a day. And, yep. you know, wearing cowboy boots as his feet were ready to fall off by the end of it. You know. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, you're a musician. You're used to going up on stage, playing for two hours, and you're done. Yeah. But now they're asking you to pantomime to a song, you know, 3,000 times in a row to get different angles. That's why it's so funny to me, too, because those those music videos from back then were so iconic and such an important part of. I guess my childhood, your childhood, oh, yeah. and yours too. Yeah, where you see something like that and be like, "Those guys, you know, they're living the life. Look at them, you know." But you don't think about the work that goes into making this video. It's just hard to believe that's just a perception. To make a you know? three and a half minute video, <laughs> right? It's just insane. Yeah. The more recent ones that I did were with Slash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think our band is excited to make any new videos because I think that the chance of them getting the proper, right. you know, uh, uh, like they cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if, or, or you know, maybe it's it's easier to make a video now because you don't have to invest in yeah, like a cheap. smooth right. up in your type yeah. video, or you, you can know, film it on an iPhone, right. grandiose yeah. Guns and Roses and White Snake videos, and oh, yeah. you could do it on an iPhone, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the idea is to keep it, you know, more you know street level or something. But but the videos we did shoot were, you know pretty serious film crew and mm-hmm. and lots of stuff going on like the actually probably my favorite video shoot was the you're alive video which we did at the universal lot in la on the old phantom of the opera set oh nice so just cool to be there because that's you know like it's probably in the historic registry of you know of uh, in film making mm-hmm. or something right. that, that where we we did it and uh uh but again, it was just a one-day shoot, 
you know, get in there and there's just a bunch of camera people and, and you get all... Just knock it out. You just, you know, yeah, you play your song down a bunch of times. And, and every time I shoot a music video, I can't move the next two or three days. It's like I got rock neck or something. Because, you know, <laughs> you, you basically have to play to the camera instead right. of... Which is not my forte. I'm not a camera, you know, I'm not a camera whore kind of person. Mm. So when the camera's in your face... I'm actually uncomfortable with it. You right. know, I don't, I don't look forward to that. But yeah. it's like, well, there you're being filmed, so you might as well make every move count. So yeah. because that's what the the videos I liked growing up, t- seeing Tommy Lee and Too Young to Fall in Love video yeah. and you know, Spinning Sticks is yeah. like yeah. fucking that's awesome. A great video. I love all that stuff. Shoot, yeah, awesome. So, uh, but yeah, I think videos are are less and less becoming, you know. Unfortunately, yeah. a thing that that matters and, yeah. and uh, lyric videos pretty common now. Yeah, but those are big now. You don't get a chance to, to see the band in the video and right. Yeah. But hey, YouTube shows lots of live footage of bands, so mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a different thing. There wasn't a lot of live footage of bands. No, no, not back then. You had to go to the concert, so you only mm-hmm. saw the music video, and the music video was a contrived thing. So now, it's like. That's you can awesome. see every concert from any of your bands. Like I know Bon Jovi was just on the Hall of Fame. Well, mm-hmm. they're going to air an actual concert of it, you know, properly. But we could probably go to YouTube right now and see all the fan filmed footage. Of you that can. I've watched it. Just like the yeah. Kulik brothers said on the boats. So yeah, it's kind of a different thing. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's been good talking to you. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> no, nah, that's what the show's about. Exactly. Awesome, it's guys. better than them having to hear us yak on and on. Well, maybe next time you're back in town, you can do an Albums Unleashed with us on, I don't know, pick one. <laughs> so many. Strong. Oh, I, yeah, I'd love maybe to. Maybe a union or something. Sure, That'd sure. That'd be awesome. Well, we'll, well, or we can get a couple guys in together. It's always yeah. nice to have an extra you know, yeah. opinion. For sure. Well, let's. Uh, we always do a playout song. I'll let you pick it of anything you've been involved in. What one song do you want to spend to play us out? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, you mentioned Bruce, so let's do a Bruce song. Let's do that. Um, Never gonna die. The yeah. Gene song that Bruce and Gene did together. That's right. a good one. There it is. We'll see you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.